0: are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: A
2: horrific anti-Semitic shooting at a synagogue in Pittsburgh over the weekend, and no surprise, the media is blaming Trump for what they say is the rise in hate. This comes after they blamed him last week for a series of mail bombings from a supposed Trump supporter. We'll talk about that, and also perhaps 5,000 U.S. troops heading to the border to deal with the incoming caravan. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show.
1: This, this is the Buck, Buck Sexton, Sexton show. show, where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence.
3: One small
1: family, make no mistake, American, Let it your your great America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst, former member of the NYPD, Buck Sexton.
4: It is Buck Sexton.
0: Now,
1: anti Semitism and the widespread persecution of Jews represents one of the ugliest and darkest features of human history the vile hate-filled poison of anti-semitism must be condemned and confronted everywhere and anywhere it appears there must be no tolerance for anti-semitism in america or for any form of religious or racial hatred or prejudice you know that you know that very well
2: Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. The nation is in mourning after eleven people were murdered and uh, about a half dozen more gunned down, in, or, or rather shot, wounded in a uh, in a synagogue in Pittsburgh, and the president there spoke in a way that I I think we would all expect the president to under the circumstances. The the shooter was a hateful, bigoted anti semite whose life, uh, ironically, in a sense, was was saved by the very Jewish people that he was espousing so much hate of. He was saved, I see here, according to Fox, by Jewish doctors and nurses uh, after he was confronted by police. But this man went into the synagogue. He had an AR uh, rifle and I believe a couple of pistols on him as well. And he uh, brutally murdered 11, 11 people at prayer um and uh it was it was a difficult weekend I mean it's one of those stories where you read it and it just makes your heart sink it just makes you feel like uh, there's so much evil in this world and we all we all have to do everything we can every day to fight against it to do what we can to make sure that evil cannot thrive in this country or in this world everything we can we can do to fight against it and I think that the the president uh, spoke about this in a heartfelt fashion. I think that Sarah Huckabee Sanders, when she gave her press conference today, was also in earnest when she uh, when she claimed that, uh, or she stated rather, that the president um, cannot more strongly condemn this kind of bigotry than he does and that his heart is broken for the Jewish people. Uh, and as Americans, this should be a moment. This should be one of those moments when we all come together, we say, hold on a second. There are some things that we can all agree are hateful and evil and wrong. There are some things we will all stand with each other to fight against. Uh, There are some lines that we will all defend together as the American people. And any time that you have this kind of bigotry or, or, or hatred on display, it should be one of those instances. As an American, I know those of you listening to this, although we have people listening all over the world, including Team Buck Israel. Hey, guys, how you doing? And gals. Um, but as an American listening to this, I know that you feel the same way, that any of us would do anything in our power to prevent this kind of a massacre from happening, to help anyone who was uh, caught in such a horrific circumstance as this. And now we do what we can with, in some cases, direct aid and assistance, but also just just prayer and Uh, and words of support and everything else that we can do uh, for the Jewish community in this country. And yet it immediately turns into a political issue. And without a moment's self-reflection, without taking just a beat to let the American people mourn, they make this about Trump. These people who do this every day, On every issue at all times, are are sick. They have a problem. They really do. They are no longer capable of being objective. You know, last week we were told that there was a bomber who Trump is responsible for because this guy who had already called it a bomb threat, you know, over a decade before Trump's presidential run and had a a career criminal, clearly, you know, psychological problems. But Trump's responsible because he criticizes people in the political arena. And those are the people that were being targeted. They can't point to Trump ever ever inciting or, or calling for violence against any of those individuals. But they say that Trump is basically responsible, that they use these kind of weasel words. They'll say, oh, well, he's he bears some share of the blame. And, you know, because they know that Trump didn't pack the bombs himself. They know Trump wasn't wasn't crushing up glass to use a shrapnel for. They're not that crazy, I suppose. They're not that stupid. But they'll say that Trump was the reason for this in some way. And what they'll point to is, well, he had his van, this guy had this van, Sayoc, covered in Trump stickers, covered in all this pro-MAGA paraphernalia. And so we had to deal with this last week. We talked about it on the show. Now, here we are over the weekend. There's this terrible shooting on on Saturday, on, on the Jewish Sabbath. And... We are told that even though this shooter, it is clear, did not like Trump because specifically Trump was too friendly and too favorable and too much of a friend to the Jews. It's still Trump's fault. Now, if we take this theory at face value, this theory that Trump has just raised hate in America Let's be clear that that means that now Trump is responsible no matter who engages in a hate crime against anyone else. You know, if there is an anti-Christian, an anti-Catholic, you know, hate crime in this country, let's say, you know, know, if there's if there is an Islamist extremist, let's just put it this way. If a jihadist kills a bunch of people, again, is that Trump's fault? I want to know where the lines are drawn here. And I think the answer, by the way, is they would claim it's Trump's fault because you see somebody from the Islamic community, if they were to radicalize, it would be because of Trump's anti-Muslim rhetoric. So he would bear some of the share of responsibility for that, too. If a you know neo-Nazi white nationalist kills somebody somewhere, it's Trump's fault because he has implicitly encouraged them, they'll say. If a anti-Semite who is anti-Trump, I mean, you know, you get on this list, doesn't matter who it is. Trump is always responsible no matter what the situation looks like if it's a terrible circumstance if there's violence and bloodshed here in America and there's there's hate and there's venom and there's nastiness at its at the root of it all it is trump's fault they say this is delusional and it's really destructive too how can you have a conversation with somebody about trump's policies when they really believe that he's dog whistling to white supremacists all the time in ways that I can't even begin to fathom. I, I, I'm paying attention to politics all day. I'm here in the swamp. I This is, I live, eat, and breathe politics and national security. And I have no idea what some of these other pundits and and anchors and such are talking about sometimes. No, I'm like, what are they? What are, We'll play some of it for you later. You'll hear, say, what does that even mean? Who are these idiots? Who's paying them so much to be so stupid on TV all the time? And so they, they talk about division as they are creating divisions. I mean, this is how you know that the left cannot be taken seriously on this. They will try to escalate rhetoric while saying that uh, rhetoric needs to be de-escalated. They'll say, the reason we have terrorism and hate in this country is because of Donald Trump. So Donald Trump needs to stop saying that the other side is bad. Oh, that seems like a brilliant idea for Trump. Why not just cave to your political opponents, let them beat you into submission, bludgeon you into silence on issues that matter to you by attaching all these issues, all these problems, all this violence? There's nothing to do with it. They're calling President Trump an anti Semite. I mean, President Trump grew up in New York City. He's, so, as did I, which is a city that has. I believe the largest Jewish population anywhere outside of Israel in the world. Trump is, is, has had countless friends who are Jewish. His personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, I know they've had a falling out, but you know he was Jewish, his son-in-law is Jewish, Ivanka converted to Judaism, his grandkids are Jewish. Trump is not an anti-Semite. Not even a little bit. Not even close. But they say this, the media says this, and they pat themselves on the back. Oh, that's right, yeah, we're speaking truth to power. No. You're a bunch of destructive little imbeciles that are saying this. It's immoral to make these claims. It's immoral to call someone an anti-Semite who has blood on his hands because somebody else who hates the president, who despises his position toward Jews, decides to be violent, engages in this this horrific hate crime. I mean, he's now facing the death penalty, and good. This guy should get the death penalty for what he, he did in that synagogue. Trying to tra- attach Trump to this though. It's just so intellectually dishonest. It's so unfair. And it just goes to show you that there is, there's no effort at good faith. There's no, let's have a real, you know, last week was all okay. Let's, t- let's tone things down. Let's have a different, a different kind of conversation going forward. Let's talk about policy. Let's come together as Americans. All right. You know, the press is under assault at the time. By the way, the press drives, I, I agree with Trump. that the press does drive a lot of this because the press is full of a bunch of preening self-obsessed self-righteous jerks not all of them obviously and I know there's people say oh Buck you're in the media. I'm telling you what 90% of the media is like they are not good people they're not honest, they're not ethical it's all about the self, it's all about the agenda they are activists posing as truth tellers it is destroying this country from the inside they are the ones undermining institutions they're the ones undermining public trust and they turn around and accuse everybody else of exactly that they tell you that trump won't take responsibility they take responsibility for nothing wrong story after wrong story all critical of trump oh that's just a coincidence as if we're idiots we're really supposed to believe that yeah sure it's just a coincidence. They are disgraceful and they are tearing this country apart. And I have to say it is very frustrating as well because if, the, if we were able to focus on what's really happening in America and the, in the direction of the country right now and how we're all doing, this country is doing very well. This country is on the right path. But the left can't make a fair argument about why it's not. So what do they do? They make it about emotion. They make it about anger and viciousness and destructive politics and lies. And that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing with the president. Uh, We're going to continue to see this, unfortunately. We're going to talk, by the way, about the caravan coming up. Got some big updates on that for you, uh, as well as... um, some more follow on to last week with the bomber and, and we, we got a, a whole bunch of show plan team. So stay right there. I'll be right back. So let me just say that, you know, I, I was able to give some thoughts on Friday on Fox news uh, right after it had become clear what, well, we, we found that the bomber was found um, and uh, uh, you know, the, the bomber was found and, and we had to have this discussion about, well, should we have civility now? Is that really what the left wants? And I was on this panel with Shannon Bream, who I think is whom I think is great, and uh, and you know Juan Williams to give the Democrat point of view. And I just wanted to share with you what I said Friday on Fox because when it comes to the bomber and the aftermath, and now all this, oh, we need to be civil. We need to just take the temperature down. Here's what I really think about it. Play the clip.
5: Rationality, the demonization of Democrats. Sayok is no wacko ab- aberration. He is the very face of Trump. Buck, fair.
2: There are over 60 million people who voted for Donald Trump. This is one guy who's clearly disturbed. I mean, he's a career criminal, but he's far from a criminal mastermind. Uh, I think the calls for civility from the left are, quite honestly, unserious. They're unserious because of the record that they have, where they didn't call for similar, similar civility when we had incidents that were even worse in terms of actual casualties suffered, Steve Scalise, which the president himself has mentioned. And you can't call for a ceasefire while you're still firing, which is exactly what Democrats have been doing all week. And if President Trump were to heed these calls, I just want to know if we're really supposed to believe they would stop calling him a traitor, a sexist, a racist, crazy. I think we all know the answers to that. So why would he? He has nothing well, to do with this. He bears no responsibility for this whatsoever. Well, well there's also a, a political culture on the left right now that has, for months, embraced mob tactics in public. They've even tried to parse whether mob is a term you can use for a mass of people that are threatening individuals, menacing them in restaurants, which I think they lost that debate. But this isn't just something that a few people have done. We're seeing crowds of individuals acting out in a way that is full of rage, that is frightening, that is meant to intimidate, and then seeing multimillionaire TV pundits and anchors at different networks than this one saying that that behavior is okay. So it's a completely different universe from one obviously crazy individual living in a van covered with the comments section of some websites that he pulled together and deciding to take these incredibly vile actions. Everyone agrees what this guy did was disgusting. And the president said it. Everyone has said it. But I think There's something else going on, it. though, on the left, where they seem to think that this kind of intimidation is warranted because they think that Trump is a fascist, because Trump is destroying the country, because Trump is undermining our institutions. That is the rhetoric that's coming from the top of the Democratic Party and the media apparatus arrayed right, against Trump me, all the time. Me- yup. All of that is true. Stand by all of it. Reiterate all of it. Repeating all of it. I mean it it is what needs to be said here in this moment of, oh, we all need to come together. Really we need to come together? Here's like what here's what they put on TV. Over at MSNBC, the politics editor there, here's what he has to say about Trump. When we're all supposed to come together now. Play 24.
0: As much as I may have criticisms of how law enforcement operates in this country, they are still our line of defense against maniacs and terrorists out there. Uh, but but I, I have to say, Nicole, and this has always been a problem with this president, he has always shown a sympathy or a dismissiveness towards terrorism. Uh, he is a he is a, a terrorist sympathizer. I mean, given the way that he responded, to what happened in Charlottesville, given how he responded to Khashoggi, given the fact that he he puts what's happened today and through this week in the context of how it affects the midterm elections. We don't have leadership in this country when it comes to domestic terrorism. This president foments it uh, as much as he is occasionally forced to speak against it.
2: A terrorist sympathizer, the MSNBC politics editor calls the president of the United States how much more stupidity do we have to really be subjected to before we just say you know I, I just don't want to hear from these from these idiots anymore i i just can't i can't handle i can't even pretend to engage and hear their arguments i I feel this from friends of mine they say I'm just sick of it and I understand the feelings sometimes you know and I spend a lot of time talking to a lot of leftists and it is it is no easy task these days you know what this really comes down to and this is what they don't want to tell you they know that they are not going to win the Senate. And they know that the House is going to be tight. And the left is aware somewhere deep down that if Trump was anywhere near this monster, this caricature that they've been saying for all this time, then Trump should get blown out. His party should get blown out in the midterms, right? It should be a wipeout in favor of the Democrats. What does it say? That almost two years into the Trump presidency, who they say is a traitor and a fascist and a bigot and a rapist and all these horrible things. What does it say that the party that is led by that guy is going to gain Senate seats and almost, even though it's an off your election, hold on to the House of Representatives? How much more out of touch and deluded can the Democrat Party be? That's the question they don't want to have to deal with. It's just so much easier for them, so much more satisfying to say that it's just all about how Trump is a racist and a terrorist sympathizer. It's just not true.
0: And that's what the rhetoric is doing. It is giving uh, people a license, uh, certainly unbalanced people, certainly people on the fringes of American life, but it is telling them that what you're Uh, doing uh, is okay. And that's why, yes, there have always been uh, anti-Semitic incidents in American history.
4: Nationalism goes hand in hand with anti-Semitism. The entire idea of anti-Semitism is to put Jews outside the body politic, outside the definition of us. And that's what Donald Trump does. That's his theme. That's what his party is now committed to doing.
6: Eliminationist rhetoric. And the president has not been dabbling in eliminationist rhetoric. At some points, he doesn't dog whistle. He uses megaphones to tell these tribes that they belong to him. And this is leading to violence directly.
2: Directly leading to violence, they say. It is not somewhat or partially Trump's fault. I mean, I saw a, a, an editorial about this over the weekend in the Washington Post, no less, saying that uh, it is directly somewhat, you know, they'll always put in this qualifier, it's Trump's fault to an extent, you know, or, you know, Trump should hold some some level of, of the blame here. Uh, this is This is disgusting, it's disgraceful, but when you have the individuals in the media who have taken Trump's entire presidency so personally, and as an affront, to their greatness and their values and how wonderful they are, uh, there are no limits really on the bile that they will throw at this president. There are no, uh, there's no good faith. There's no decency whatsoever that they will extend to him and, and to his supporters, to all of us. Remember, it's not just about Trump. Underneath all of this, there's always this seething hatred of the Trump voter too, uh, that's a part of the anti-Trump movement. They they despise the voter. They don't because they don't think that really we've been fooled. They have figured out enough now, I believe. The leftists in the media and in the Democrat Party have figured out that we've made this bargain and we're good with it. We're like, yeah, I like Trump. I, I know he's not perfect. I know he makes mistakes, but I think Trump is actually the right choice for America right now. So they hate us because of all of that. And that's why they feel completely justified in saying just the most despicable disgusting things i mean here's here's a, another washington post person over, over at msnbc play 3
0: there's always been the alt right or its equivalent. The difference is it was always on the fringe and the mainstream elements of the party and certainly the president uh, never validated that. Uh, what's happening, what's so extremely dangerous about this is you now have the man with the largest megaphone in the world giving a nod and a wink, sometimes outright praise uh, to the folks who are carrying on these conspiracy theories. And it is telling them, these people, that it's okay that they're getting a a blessing to do this.
2: You know, it's it's interesting that that he can go on TV, that's Dana Milbank, the Washington Post, and say that Trump gives them a blessing right after he has explicitly, openly, repeatedly condemned this. But you see, this is one of the games that they play They'll say, "Why doesn't Trump? Why doesn't Trump condemn white nationalists?" And people will say, "Okay, well he did. He just condemned them a couple of days ago." Well, well, he hasn't denounced it enough. And then people will do a little Google searching and they'll say, "Well, hold on a second. Trump has called white nationalists losers. He said there's no place in America for hate. He said this many, many times." Then they'll say, "Well, then why does Trump talk about white nationalists so much?" He can't win, folks. You you know this. There's nothing he can do that will make them stop calling him a racist, stop calling him a white nationalist. They, they do not extend the most basic level of good faith to him in any of these discussions. And, and they love to trot out these, these fake conservatives I mean these fake Republicans like Jennifer Rubin, who's the, she is the queen of fake Republicans. The Washington Post still lists her as a Republican when she writes things, which is just amazing. But, you know, she, she blames Trump not just for what happened over the weekend and what happened last week, but for the overall increase in hate in America, she says. Play clip four.
4: I'm not going to plumb the depths or the shallow side of Donald Trump's mind, but I will say this. We've had a 57 percent uptick in the last year in anti-Semitic hate crimes. The biggest Sort of theme in anti Semitism is that Jews are outsiders, they are aliens, that you define a nation by Christianity, by whiteness, and if you can believe it, they do not believe that Jews are white, Um, and that everyone else is alien, everyone else is a threat, that true America is not all men are created equal. It's not an ideal. It's not a creedal nation. It is blood and soil. The entire idea of anti-Semitism is to put Jews outside the body politic. And that's what Donald Trump does.
2: That's what he does by having a Jewish daughter and a Jewish son-in-law and numerous Jewish grandchildren. That's what he does by having senior Jewish advisors in the White House, by being a better friend to Israel by leaps and bounds than Obama ever was. For, for a president who's probably the most popular American president in Israel, the state of the Jewish people, for a president of that stature to be called an anti-Semite just goes to show you how desperate the left really is to try to make this stick. And I know that there is a fight within the Jewish community right now about, well, he's I actually spoke to a rabbi about it today uh, on my other show. Uh, you know, well, he's good on Israel, but they don't like some of his domestic policies. But they do like some of his other domestic policies. But they don't like his, uh, you know, his tweeting and his coarseness, and you know, and that's great. The Jewish community is vibrant with political disagreements, like like any you know vibrant community would be over politics. It's not a monolith in any sense. But there's not this overwhelming belief at all that he's an anti-Semite. That's just that's fantasyland stuff. That's just not true. It's not reality. And They're so desperate to try to make this what people believe, what they think. And what you're seeing here in this last couple of weeks before the midterm election is that the Democrats, really all they have is that Trump is hateful, Trump is terrible. They hate Trump. And so they want people to vote against Trump. They think that Trump is disgusting and disgraceful and all the rest of it. And so their plan is to just keep hitting that, keep reiterating that point, keep pushing that as though it will somehow make the lives better of the people in this country who would then be subjected to Democrats with all their redistribution and all their nonsense about how we're going to have, you know, there's just basically a money fairy who's going to give money for everything we need and no one's going to have to really worry about paying for it because the rich will pay, because the rich are going to take care of it all. Um, And then you have people like April Ryan who, Uh, who just are are explicitly blaming Trump for all this. And she's a White House correspondent. Play 20.
4: Also been told that the president is laying low because he's hearing those calls. But at the same time, how do you marry this situation with the president? Last week says he's a nationalist. All he had to do is say white nationalist to that. Um, You know, we've seen this just before what happened with the bombs. We saw the Kroger in Kentucky, a white man shoot and kill two black people. And then he got to the white person. White people don't kill white people. Okay. Wait, can we stop for a second? Because I, I want to I
2: I jump in on her point about nationalism really quickly. Um, that what she just did, adding a word to another word to make it seem really bad. Guess what? You can do that with socialism too, Ms. Ryan. Right? Bernie Sanders, democratic socialist. Oh, maybe he's a national socialist instead. Oh, that's a terrible slander, Buck. How could you say that? Well, I just changed the words, right? That's why you don't change the words. You know, Elizabeth Warren, is she a socialist? No, I I think she's actually a national socialist. Oh, wow, that's a Nazi. That's terrible. Right, because that's a changed term. To say that when Trump says nationalist, he means white nationalist is just to make up what he is saying into something else but that's how desperate they are on all this. They'll just do that. You know, Trump said yes, but what he really means is no. They think that's analysis.
1: Recently in some places in the nation, there's been a disturbing reoccurrence of bigotry and violence. If I may, from the platform of this organization, known for its tolerance, I would like to address a few remarks to those groups who still adhere to senseless racism and religious prejudice. To those individuals who persist in such hateful behavior, if I were speaking to them instead of to you, I would say to them, you are the ones who are out of step with our society, you are the ones who willfully violate the meaning of the dream that is America, and this country, because of what it stands for, will not stand for your conduct.
2: The greatest president of my lifetime, with the possible exception of Donald Trump. We'll see how it, how it goes. We'll see how many years in office he has, hopefully eight. and we'll see what the full measure of his accomplishments look. Reagan defeated the Soviet Union and probably saved the planet from annihilation. So that, that's, a t- that's a tough one to that's a tough one to beat. That's a tough record to uh, compare against. But Trump so far is doing a pretty remarkable job in his own way. But I play that for you just because I I think that it is helpful for all of us. In fact, I I would argue that it it is necessary for all of us to remind each other, those of us who are conservatives, that our movement and our ideology, our belief system, our principles are rooted in uh, respect for the individual, individual rights, human dignity, human life, liberty. That's that is the foundation of our of our belief system that's where it all starts and so true anti-semitism and true racism and i say that with the qualifier of true because we know the left calls everything anti-semitic calls everything racist i mean they're they use it as a political cudgel but true anti-semitism and racism and uh, and and bigotry is not just non-conservative, it is antithetical to conservatism because if we are not all God's creation endowed by our creator with inalienable rights, and if we are not all equal in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the law, then there is no such thing really as conservatism. conservatism as we know it in this country does not exist. It, it is not possible to be a conservative and believe that a white person or, and, a, and a black person, or a black person, and a Hispanic person, and a white person, it, it, that, that they do not all have equal dignity, equal rights, equal worth as human beings and as citizens of this great nation. So when the left tries so hard to create this perception that people who are conservative, I, I can't speak to the right. I mean, the right Meaning all of it. Obviously, I can speak to the right in general terms, but you know there are some fringe elements of the right that you that, that they consider themselves on the right, and you'd say, well, hold on a second. In what meaningful way are they conservative, though? You know, this is where you start to really get into what is right wing and left wing even mean. You know, if you are more in favor of individual rights, if you are about the individual instead of the collective, right? The left in this country is all about the collective, and they're about collective guilt. Collective identity, collective economics. They are collectivists. They believe in groups. They believe in the common good as defined by a core of elites that all speak in the language of equality and commonality but live as elites and separate from the masses but use the envy and antagonisms of the masses in order to beat the other side politically, which would be us. We are the individualists. We are the individual rights. We are all God's creation. We are all uh, human beings in this struggle together and should help each other and respect each other and each other's rights and dignity and life. And that is an obligation on all of us. Um, when, when they try to make this case that racism and anti-Semitism and these different isms and bigotries exist on the right, I just... I have a, a real feeling of uh, of outrage at that because it's so untrue and so unfair. And I think that the reason they push it so hard, it's not just because it works, it, it's dirty politics, but it is useful for them. Uh, it, it is a shame that so many uh, of the classes that the Democrats view as victims, whether it's just the working poor or African-Americans or uh, or Hispanics, Latinos, women, whatever the group may be, it's a shame that so many of them have been propagandized to such that they, they really believe, and I know this from talking to them, they really believe that conservatives are racist. They believe that. And you and I sit here knowing that that is a lie. That's not true. We're not racist. In fact, we're the ones that are always advocating for people of all races to be treated equally under the law. It is the left that advocates for disparate treatment in the eyes of the law based upon race, based upon skin color, based upon not even real, but perceived gender. They're the ones that want these differentiations. And then they turn around and say that we're the ones who are obsessed with with race and gender and these other differences among among human beings. Uh, When at the end of the day, I, I think it couldn't be any more clear that our side the side of conservatives and constitutionalists are the ones that advocate for individual rights and the dignity of all people and there has always been this effort to rewrite the histories of the two ideologies of the two parties this is why democrats do get so dare i say triggered when it is brought up that they are the the democrats are the party of slavery segregation jim crow just go down the list it was it was historically always the democrats Democrats have been and are the party of the mob mob mentality the mob feeling how does the mass feel how do the masses view an issue what do they demand what do they shout what where is their rage directed that has been the id that has been at the core of the Democrat Party. Uh, There's always been an intellectual strain in conservatism that has been first and foremost about the American founding and the Constitution and the rights of each and every individual and the natural law that underpins all of this, that it's not really just about what the founding fathers said, it's that the founding fathers were able to harness a sense of what is a universal and eternal truth about human beings. What is always true about people, what is always good for a society to uh, promote, and what is always necessary for a society to try and prevent and to condemn. Those universal truths are at the heart of conservatism, and so it's just... It is the exact opposite of a true conservative to believe that a person is less than because of skin color, to believe that a person is less than because of gender, uh, less than because of religion. Uh, That is not who we are. And I know that you know that and I know that, but I do think that it is worth sometimes taking a step back and just verbalizing exactly why that is the truth. There's a lot of fakes and frauds out there and a lot of very easy and clever ways for people to try and falsify their records and who they are. That's why if you're hiring or you're renting out your property, you want the experts at Global Verification Network to have your back. So many people that have used Global Verification, heard about them on this show, are realizing that they made the right choice because they got the customer service and the expertise that they needed. And Global Verification Network is the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. They'll work with companies of any size, folks. So whether you're just a startup or all the way up to a Fortune 100, if you're doing this yourself or you've got an HR department, call them. They should be the ones doing your background checks. 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. MyGVN.com. Again, that's my gvn.com
6: suddenly it's this group of folks we don't even know where
0: they are they're way down there that's the biggest thing and you know as soon as
6: the elections over everybody be like what what what, what happened we were being invaded where to go
2: Oh President Obama Still thinks he's on the campaign trail for Obama, I think. Hasn't yet really understood that there are plenty of us who don't really want to hear from him. And uh, former presidents have done that courtesy to the American people, not to pretend to kind of be the president in exile. Nonetheless, he's talking about what's going on with this caravan, as it is called now. Well, what is really going on? To fill in the blanks here, we have our man Raheem Kassam up in this piece. He is, of course the fellow of com. He has worked in a senior strategy role for government in the UK. He's also formerly of Breitbart. The man himself, author of No-Go Zones, Mr. Raheem, good to have you back.
6: Hey, great to be here, but Thanks for having me. I so what is the latest Obama, with this caravan? Obama is, by the way, I just wanted to say, Obama is still campaigning for Obama. Remember, I mean, he's campaigning on the fact that his legacy is being torn down. Um, So this is this is this is him campaigning on on, on his ego rather than an office. And when he comes out and talks about the migrant caravan, uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me that he's so desperate to try and uh, uh, make light of it, uh, make it seem like not a great deal. Because actually, the caravan not just only increased in size over the years that he was uh, president, this is a sort of annual or now biannual Uh, march through Central America up to the U.S. border. Um, But it's also, uh, as I've sort of dictated uh, in my uh, last couple of articles that I've written, um, one for the Daily Caller, one for the American Media Institute, um, it's actually funded historically by Democrats, um, by uh, people who have worked in and around uh, the U.S. government, specifically in the USAID field, you know, the, the, the foreign aid, Sphere. Um, so it's no wonder he's trying to deflect from it, because really what this caravan embodies is decades um, of anti-border, anti-national sovereignty agitating from within uh, the annals of the U.S. Uh, government historically and from within the Democratic Party uh, left. And I, and I really do mean with both money uh, and significant time investment in this.
2: Now, we have gotten a lot of pushback already from people in the media saying, oh my gosh, it's so crazy to suggest that there's anyone organizing this, as though they want us to think that this is spontaneous, and oh, by the way, they're really gonna walk the whole way. Uh, What can you tell us about the organization, and also, have we started to see folks hopping on buses and trains for at least part of the way? Because I think that's a pretty predictable move.
6: Yeah, buses and flatbed trucks we've seen now, um, pushing people through Mexico, Uh, to get uh, to get to the U.S. border even faster, because apparently there's some uh, elections coming up. Uh, and, and, you know, much as these people really loathe foreign intervention and foreign collusion, uh, this is literally, uh, uh, you know, up to 10,000 foreigners. Latest estimates are around 7,000. Uh, but, you know, it could be up to 10,000 foreigners who are being busted uh, to the U.S. border to, to impact an election cycle. So to make of that what you will. But the groups that are in question here, I mean, the media does... Sort of try to make out like it's some sort of grassroots thing. It's very strange uh, because then they quote in their articles, and you can see them on CNN and ABC and NBC. Organizer Rodrigo Abeja told ABC this. Well, hold on, either it is organized or it isn't organized. Um, and then when you go back and you, you actually do the sort of investigative journalistic work, which I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I hate to say it, nobody's really done. Um, on the U.S. side of things, you start to get a picture of who these people are. Mr. Rebeja runs a group called Pueblo Sin Fronteras, the, the leader, the, uh, the, the co-leader of which uh, was arrested uh, uh, last week uh, for organizing and taking part in this criminal activity. Um, you have him linked to another group, which operates um, in California and in New York openly. They are uh anti uh uh you know u.s law advocates effectively they cut the uh tracking devices from uh illegal immigrants uh uh tags on their ankles they do all this it's called Apofam. and they're in turn funded by uh, uh big corporates um both in the united states and and from within mexico as well and aided by uh mexican diplomats Again, USAID folks. And when you really start to pull this whole thing together, it starts to look like one of those sort of crazy conspiracy theories. But these same people sit on conference calls and are in email chains um, with, uh, uh, you know, the the Socialist Party of America activists who James O'Keefe at uh, Project Veritas recently uh, rumbled inside U.S. government departments trying to stop the Trump administration's policies going through. So this actually goes really far and really deep and I'm still doing a lot of investigative work around it to see actually what federal funds or what state level funds have been sent to these groups over the past couple of decades because they're not new by the way. Some of these groups have existed since the late 1930s by the way. And the caravans at the time and 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 since then have been small and have really sort of picked up numbers over the course of time, but now we're seeing, you know, 4,000 at the start of this one, 7,000 currently. And if this one reaches and it and, and it, com- uh, it conveys a pull factor into the United States, that is to say that the US does allow even some of those people in. The next one you're going to see will be 15,000. And the one after that will be 25,000. And this is the same thing we saw in Europe in 2015. Uh, The migrant crisis truly started years before that. And in 2015, it was over a million people trekking through Europe. Don't forget.
2: Raheem, what is the Democrats' play here? Uh, Is it for the midterms or is it bigger than that or is it both?
6: Well, it's been bigger than that for some time. I mean, this is just a political opportunity that they're taking. I mean, the, the broader philosophical uh, thing that they've been hammering on for years, and actually a lot of them have either written a uh, thesis about this for the American university um, or been funding halfway houses in Mexico to help people through um, when, when they've been doing this historically. The big play is this. It comes down to what the United States is. Is it a nation with borders um, or is it sort of an amorphous? You know, you often hear America is an idea. Is it an idea that they can twist and manipulate and contort uh, and, and shift the demographics of and, and, and therefore shift the voting patterns of and therefore shift you know, the broader philosophical direction of? I mean, I often say this, you know, the, the, our civilization, Western civilization is still fighting the Spanish Civil War. It's still litigating, you know, the authoritarian left versus the authoritarian right. The difference is the media jumps on the authoritarian right and exposes them for exactly where, where they are, who they are where their money comes from, so on and so forth. Nothing of the sort ever happens to the hardline socialistic uh, authoritarian left. And I don't mean, by the way, the Maxine Waters left. I mean the real hardline socialist left. And this is where all of this traces its roots back to. These are true sort of Bolivarian socialists. Uh, that are organizing these caravans. Um, and and uh, I'll tell you this. I mean, I'm starting from a position of looking into the federal funding and state-level funding of this now. I would be remarkably surprised um, if, if at the end of my investigation it doesn't turn out that not only uh, has there been money from the U.S. government um going to some of these organizations uh but actually if it's not been hit there a lot historically um and and very well utilized uh because there are it's not just one group doing this there is a whole network behind this some of them based out of los angeles who have openly professed their support for this which are funded in turn by amazon's smile charity program and ralph's charity program the big california supermarket there is a lot of money at play here
2: Raheem, come back when you have your, your final assessment on all this, all right? We'll want to hear what, what the dispensation of all this funding and everything else really turns out to be.
6: Absolutely.
2: Or disposition, rather. Thank you so much, Raheem. Uh, raheem.com, RaheemKassam.com, everybody, author of No-Go Zones. Raheem, thanks so much for joining.
6: Thank you for having me.
2: Team, we got more. Stay with me. Security breaches happen all the time. I can't even keep up with all the news stories about the mass hackings of enormous institutions, government, corporations, individuals, you name it. It's hard not to worry about where my data is. I'm constantly concerned about it. As somebody who's had world-class security training, I'm still worried. But, you know, that's why I turn to the security experts at ExpressVPN. VPN is a virtual private network. What that means is that it protects what you are doing online. An Express VPN has easy to use apps that run in the background of my computer, phone and tablet and the protection from Express VPN takes only one click. Make sure that the bad guys can't steal my history, can't steal my data, information and sell it or misuse it. Protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get 3 months free at expressvpn.com/buck. That's express vpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package expressvpn.com slash buck
5: think they're going to handle logistics for the border patrol. they're going they're going to monitor sensor traffic intelligence they're going to be moving food water supplies for the border patrol. and what that does is that releases the border agents who are currently doing those types of jobs to be on the front line as law enforcement officers defending their nation. So I think it's a good move. I also think you're going to see a lot more DOD assets deployed. I would, I would think the president was send up to 5,000 troops down there, and uh, and we'll see what happens. But the board, having the military on the border is a great idea.
2: That's right. 5,000, they're saying now, U.S. military, may be heading to the southern border. And this is all about auxiliary functions to assist border patrol and... And at that level, I have to say there, there's nothing about this that I find surprising or uh, or really strange. Uh, I the previous administrations have done this. You could say, Buck, why so many? Well, you know, why not? Why not put as many border patrol officers as possible out in the field to police the border instead of having to do uh, back back office logistics and other other things that U.S. military are very well-suited to assist with in this purpose. And and isn't our southern border, isn't that part of our national security? You know, we, we have been trained by the left and by all these immigration activists not to think of immigration as a national security issue, when in fact it is one of the purest national security issues that exists. In fact, short of a foreign invasion, I think you could argue that immigration is at the very top of the list of national security concerns that we have. Uh, if, if you cannot enforce borders, you cannot protect resources, you cannot effectively uh, tax and, uh, and assess your population. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes into, you need to have control of your borders. I mean, if somebody can just come and go from this country as they please, for example, why would they ever why would they come here and not pay taxes and leave and come back when they want? You know, you don't have to worry about anything. There's a whole political structure here that's in place because the people that are citizens have an obligation to the state and the state has an obligation to its citizens. So you know, this should not be such a, a surprise, but you'll notice that for a lot of uh, a lot of democrats just the idea that 5000 us troops are going to be re- deployed to the border to the us mexico border um to deal with this migrant caravan uh, they're going to say that it's a political stunt and sure i mean there are optics here there's no question about it and there are clearly reasons of making a point that the president is sending people down to the border in this way um but there's a lot there's a lot more at stake than just making a point and and that is that if this caravan gets through, it's very understandable. People would think that future caravans would get through, that there would be other things, other groups rather, uh, that would be even larger. And that starts to turn into, well, do we even really have a country? I mean, at what point is it just an open border? We don't, we don't call it that. Uh, but DHS secretary Nielsen had some interesting things to say about this play clip, uh, Eight, please.
5: Uh, this caravan is not getting in. Uh, there is a legal way to enter this country. Uh, those who choose to enter illegally will be stopped. We are working with our partners in Mexico. They have taken unprecedented efforts uh, within their territory uh, to ensure an orderly flow and that those who have no legal right to be there are removed. Uh, We intend to do the same, but my general message to this caravan is do not come. You will not be allowed in. There is a right way to emigrate to the United States, and this is not it.
2: I appreciate the secretary's messaging here, but I'm not sure she's right on the merits. I think they will be allowed in. I think that unless there's a change to the laws on asylum right now, it is very likely that this group will get into the United States. And that then brings me to the possibility that that I had raised last week, and I'm hearing more and more say this now. Maybe Trump decides you know, that with the deployment of these troops to the border, and and there's clearly a flexing of commander-in-chief national security muscle that's going on here, Maybe Trump decides that under his authority, as I've described it to you, as commander-in-chief, he can decide that any class of uh, of, elite, uh, of alien, doesn't have to be illegal alien, just any class of alien can be barred, can be prohibited entry into the United States based on the judgment of the commander-in-chief. Uh, and the Supreme Court has affirmed this even recently over the whole Muslim ban. Maybe that's Trump's plan here. He's going to say this migrant caravan does not qualify for asylum. There are MS-13 members in this group. They are a uh, a security concern for the United States. They will not be let in. Now, you can imagine the left will completely freak out if he does this. But I think he does have the authority to do it. And I'm starting to think that that may be where he's heading here. That, he's a, that they're trying to tell them now. I mean, Secretary Nielsen's saying you're not going to be let in. And what she's trying to do is prevent them from showing up. Because if they show up... It's not going to be the asylum process. It's going to be the uh, president of the United States, under his authority as the chief executive of the United States government, telling them they can't come in. And maybe a court will try, and you know, and uh, you know, that it might make its way all the way up to the Supreme Court. But guess what? What's up, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh? I have a feeling Trump, because it is in his authority, uh, statutory authority, to do so. I have a feeling that he will be upheld then. Uh, but that's where this showdown could be heading. Here's what Nielsen said, by the way, about uh, about the the caravan and whether it will get in. Place seven.
5: We have a crisis at the border right now. We are stopping between 1,500 and 1,700 people a day. If you seek asylum, do so in the first safe country. Mexico has offered you refuge. If you want a job, that is not asylum. If you want to be reunited with your family, that is not asylum. If you want to just come live in the United States, that is not asylum. There are legal ways to do that. But this is about the rule of law. We stop 3,000 people a year who have travel, uh, travel patterns similar to terrorists from attempting to come in the Southwest border. And as you know, in general, we stop across the United States, 10 known or suspected terrorists a day from getting into the United States.
2: She's saying it's not asylum. Everyone needs to stop with this, oh, it's asylum. If, if it's asylum to come from Honduras because you don't like your job there and you wanna make more money, then every country in the third world has to have essentially an open immigration policy in the United States Because anyone can claim that they need asylum. Honduras is not in the middle of an ethnic cleansing. Honduras is not in the middle of a natural disaster where there's no potable water anywhere and everyone's dying. Honduras is just a country that is not doing well. It's because primarily of crime and corruption. But that can't always be our problem. And I don't just mean America's foreign policy problem. I mean your problem and my problem. Our tax dollars having to support people that come from that community and our communities having to shelter and assimilate people from that community, if they have not come in through the legal process, and redefining asylum is a perversion of the asylum process. I mean, redefining asylum to mean domestic abuse. So now anyone who gets who's you know domestic abuse is horrible. We all know this. But anyone who's a subject of domestic abuse, anyone in the world, can show up in America and say, "Well, I've been domestically abused." How could you disprove that? If someone tells a convincing enough story, then they get to stay. This is increasingly, not just a porous border situation, but starts to feel like a de facto open border situation. Remember, there's no such thing as an open border state, so what does that even mean? But we're getting closer to it than anybody else. It's time we draw a line here, and it's time we hold the line
1: nobody knows exactly what took place yet it's too soon but this is a case where if they had an armed guard inside they might have been able to stop him immediately so this would be a case for if there was an armed guard inside the temple they would have been able to stop him maybe there would have been nobody killed except for him frankly so it's a very very uh very difficult situation. Do you think that all churches and synagogues should have armed guards? I hate to think of it that way. I will say that. I hate to think of it that way. So we'll see you that, with the future's Promise. Is that what you're suggesting, sir? No, it's certainly an option.
2: President Trump saying maybe an armed guard would have been able to save lives in that uh, horrible shooting at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. We got somebody who's got strong opinions on the matter of having somebody who is armed and trained on premises, as a general matter. Uh, Jesse Kelly is with us now. He is, of course, the host of the Jesse Kelly Show. He is a fan favorite here in the Freedom Hut. You can hear him on our iHeart sister station of 950 KPRC down in Houston every night. Mr. Jesse Kelly, great to have you on.
3: Great to be here, Buck. Happy to do it, brother.
2: Uh, So, you know, I'm always a little frustrated because i'm not surprised surprise is not the right word because i know that after a terrible shooting incident wherever it is there there's always this suggestion of oh why do you bring up armed guards Uh, as though that's some crazy idea uh you know i've i've seen plenty of armed guards and or armed police at major religious sites where i grew up in new york city i just don't know jesse why this gets dismissed by the, well, I guess I do know, but it frustrates me that the left just dismisses this out of hand. We really do just want to save lives.
3: Yes, well, it gets dismissed for a simple reason. That's because it's the truth. It's, it's like the left must dismiss all things that are the truth. It is a simple, obvious solution that would obviously solve the problem, and therefore the left is forced to hate it because they have to live in a world of make-believe. We have armed guards everywhere we truly care about. Everywhere you truly want to protect, a place that's a target or a potential target has an armed guard inside of it or close by. That's called security. That's the norm. That's the real world. But even bringing up an actual solution is just going to get you reactions of horror from the left who they think the only solution is disarming every law abiding citizen.
2: I just can't imagine the circumstances where I'm in a place that, generally speaking, a lot of people do not you know, you're, you're, you're not expecting necessarily. It depends where you are, right? I, I don't know what it was like at this Pittsburgh synagogue. I'm guessing probably none of the, you know, none of the parishioners are, are, are ever armed. And uh, you know, I, I don't know, none of the congregants, I should say, are ever armed. Um, but I know there are some churches in the South where I, I some people are armed, right? I mean, it, it depends on where you are. But the, the idea that this is automatically a bad idea, I think it just goes to show how ideological a lot of the reaction to this is. Because if I'm sitting there and I see somebody who's got a sidearm, and, you know, that's that's either a law-abiding gun owner showing their sidearm or is trained security or, or perhaps off-duty law enforcement. The last thought that ever goes through my mind is, oh, well, I'm less safe now, Jesse. I mean, this seems very basic.
3: Well, it seems basic to you, Buck, because you were CIA and you have common sense and that you, you acknowledge the way the world really is. But I, I, one thing I have come to grips with is how frightening guns of any kind are for those who have never experienced them, never held them, never shot one, never been taught the basic safety about them. It really is a terrifying thing for people who don't know. They look at it and honestly it sounds crazy. They think the thing's just gonna start shooting. And No, I understand. think
2: you make a really good point. And you know, I know you're not just a Texan, but also we're a Marine, so you've got double firearms familiarity baked in there. But you know, you, you look at at the, the cultural differences in the very, very blue areas versus a lot of the rest of the country. You know, when I tell people that I went to a, a camp as an 11 year old where we were firing rifles, they look at me like I'm nuts. I mean, they think this is crazy yeah. sounding, but it just goes to show that part of the political and cultural divide we have now in this country is exactly what you said. It's not just that people don't have familiarity with guns. Well, that's a big part of it. They've also been raised to think or they've, they've been led to believe by their peers and those around them That guns, except in the hands of the state, are always a bad thing, really. I mean, that's really the belief. And also, by the way, Jesse, the people who aren't part of the state apparatus, meaning there aren't police or military, who want to have guns, are at best suspect and at worst a threat.
3: Yeah, my kids are eight and nine. They've both shot firearms before, real guns. Not just BB guns. They've shot guns. They're familiar with them. They have had gun safety drilled into their heads. They know where the weapons are in our home. They know they're never allowed to touch them unless I'm around. That's life. And guess what? They're safe with them. But you, but what? It, what's really funny is you mentioned a cultural issue, and I understand having lived in the Northeast, I've lived all over how people view it differently. But here in Texas and other places that I've lived, it is the norm for people to carry in church. I put up a tweet the other day. I think you are insane if you are licensed. If you are trained to do so, to not have your weapon on you in a place of worship, you have mass amounts of people that are prime targets for evil sitting there with their backs to the door. Stop living in this rosy world of make-believe and acknowledge the world as it is. Sick monsters like this scumbag who shot up the synagogue exist. He's not the last one on earth, I promise you.
0: So
2: do, do you do you carry in church?
3: Absolutely. I I carry in church every single Sunday. Well, in general, if you see me, I'm on. But in church, 100% of the time, I'm carrying. Loaded, on my hip. Yes. And there in Texas, it's really funny. You would love this. We have these things called... Now, this is not the, the church I go to. We have these cowboy churches where people just show up in boots, in jeans, and I'm not kidding, they ride horses to church. They will open carry firearms in church. The one my buddy goes to... He has a Copenhagen in his lip as he gives the sermon. The pastor does, and a pistol on his hip. Now you can make fun of that, and people will as some absurd redneck caricature. But the bottom line is, that's the safest church on the planet. Ain't nobody shooting that place up.
2: I would think so. I think that's. I think it's a fair point. So I just again, if we're going to talk about solutions, real solutions should be treated at least, or at least real, uh, you know, attempts. at at risk mitigation. I mean, solution might be too strong a word. should at least be taken seriously. But, you know, the left, when it comes to guns, it's it's all really just a cultural a cultural divide issue for them. And and the virtue signal of guns bad and people with guns bad. This is what I always say, Jesse. It's more than just the the left opposes firearms. It really is a dividing line between the kind of people that the left likes and the kind of people the left doesn't. I mean, guns are right up there with being pro-choice or pro-life in terms of what separates out the two sides of america now
3: you're right you're right and when it comes to guns i'll say what i say after all these gun grabbing leftists start coming for them after a mass shooting if the guns are the problem where is the mass shooting at the gun show where has it happened? in american history there are guns everywhere everyone has them on their hips they're on the counters everybody's buying them, everybody's selling them, there's guns, ammunition. If guns are the problem, why has there not been a mass shooting at a gun show yet? Yeah,
2: and, and why are there so many mass shootings in so-called gun-free zones, as we know? But people don't want to learn this lesson, unfortunately, and, and they don't want to take the, the problem as, as an issue of fact. They want to deal with it emotionally. But uh, Jesse Kelly, everybody, 9.50 KPRC Houston on uh, what, what time, Jesse?
3: 7 to 8 central time.
2: 7 to 8 Central Time. There we go. 7 to 8 Central Time. The Jesse Kelly Show. Also follow the man himself on Twitter. And yeah, he'll be back here in the hut soon. Mr. Jesse Kelly, always a pleasure, sir. Uh, come back soon.
3: Appreciate you, brother.
2: Team, we'll be right back.
5: Well, I'd like to be president. Okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I, I think, hopefully... When we have a Democrat in the Oval Office in January of 2021, there's going to be so much work to be done. I mean, we have confused everybody in the world, including ourselves, and (laughs) we have confused our friends and our enemies. They have no idea what the United States stands for, what we're likely to do, what we think is important. Uh, so the work would be work that I feel very well prepared for having been in the Senate for eight years, having been a diplomat, uh, in the state department, and it's just going to be a lot of heavy lifting. So Um, are you going to be doing any of that lifting? Do you feel like, Oh, I have no idea, Kara, but I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to even think about it until we get through this, uh, November 6th.
2: Heavy lifting folks. That's what she says. That's right. Hello. Hello. She thinks she's coming back. I've been, t- I, You know I've been saying it all along. And you could tell there that she knows she's not supposed to let that out right now. She knows she's supposed to hold back a little more. She's not supposed to go there. Not supposed to be, you know, obviously pushing for her own future in the White House at this stage of the game because she comes from a damaged political brand. Uh, but she can't help herself. Hillary Clinton, as I have said, has a hole in her soul. The only thing that will fill it in her mind is the ultimate power of the presidency. And there is nothing else that she could ever have or could ever do that would make what she has been through, because I'm sure she views herself as a kind of victim and a, and a, a martyr for the left wing progressive cause, politically speaking. You know, she stood beside Bill. She allowed so many people to uh, bash her all these years I mean I'm saying this is in her in her mind the only thing that is just the only way that justice is done is if she becomes president of the United States and i I've been saying it and I just want to make sure that I'm very clear very on the record here what happens is that the Democrats if they take the house, march us right into fights over impeachment, that becomes the whole discussion. We're just going to be fighting over impeachment, really, for the next 18 months. And then the narrative is that the only way to set right what they could not get, because they will not have two-thirds of the Senate, so they can't remove Hillary, but the only way to set it right would be to make Hillary president finally, to break that glass ceiling and finally put her in a position where she gets to be the President of the United States, I'm. I'm not the only one who's thinking this. Hillary herself, you could tell. It's like, well, I mean, I'm not saying I'm running. I'm just saying that I really want the job still, and uh, nobody is more qualified than I am. I mean, this is this is the kind of stuff you say when you want something that you know you're not supposed to want, and or at least you're not supposed to say you want it. But that's where we are with this. You know, she she has not given up one bit. She still thinks. That this is the way that it's all going to go, and and what a what a uh, a crazy story in her mind it's got to be for running against Barack Obama and losing, running against Trump and losing, and in the end though, in her mind justice prevails and she sets right the world, and you could tell that she's oh you know there's so much work to do and I everything mean, you know uh, her mindset her attitude is all right America you know I'm the one that's going to fix fix the mess that that trump created and oh by the way you owe this to me you owe me the presidency that hasn't changed one bit and she is very much still in that mindset so i know it's a little early but keep in mind that next tuesday or this coming tuesday wait no yeah next tuesday because that's next tuesday the midterms will be over and the presidential election will begin Uh, next tuesday is when we start to talk about who is really going to run the democrat side i think by the way you're going to have a huge field of candidates on the Democrat side. I think you're going to have a a massive field of all kinds of people, including some real characters. I'm not totally convinced that Avenatti still thinks that or doesn't still think that he's going to run. I'm, I'm not convinced. As crazy as that may really be to anybody who's living in the real world, I would not be surprised if you did, in fact, have an Avenatti candidacy. I, I could see I could see that happening. And uh, I think that you look at some of the others out there Elizabeth Warren, probably still going to run again. is herself still going to run because she thinks that in the era of Trump, all that matters is that you deliver for your side. And no matter how humiliating her whole fake Native American ordeal may have been, she thinks that she can still deliver uh, socialism for America. That's that is what the fight's going to be. Make no mistake about it. This is going to be about this election will be about socialism. The last election was about the crony, corrupt, kleptocrat Clintons. That was quite an alliteration, but you know what I mean. The last election was about the progressive media elite establishment finally getting getting the uppercut that is so deserved after all these years. And the next election is going to be socialism. No doubt in my mind. It's going to be open. Forget about the kind of Bernie Sanders cuddly, I just want free school stuff. It's going to be open uh, 70% tax rate, kind of redistribute the wealth, reparations for all kinds of historical wrongs, uh, massive government intervention in the healthcare markets, open borders so that you can dilute whatever pain the productive citizens feel by just drowning out their votes with with new arrivals. Uh, That's going to be what the next election's all about. Uh, And it's with that in mind, by the way, that I think of some of these some of these never Trumpers are just getting crazier and crazier. You know, they, they've gone from Russia collusion and now they have to find something else to justify their their hatred. And I mean, Max Boot, I feel weird even talking about him because he's such a weirdo and is so insignificant in terms of his influence and his thinking in the in the conservative movement. In fact, the only influence he had was to get us into wars that were uh, at least in one case, a very bad idea. Um, but, you know, he, he'll just slander Trump with stuff. Play clip 10. Fox
3: News and that crowd, Breitbart and Infowars and the Daily Caller and Republican Congressman, they have been vilifying George Soros for years and basically because George Soros is a rich Jew. And so when they talk about Soros, they're talking about a rich Jew who's in control of everything. Or when they talk about globalists, which is the term that Trump prefers, right, right. When, when, when Trump says globalists, right wing extremists here, Jews, this is this... Repugnant dog whistling, which has gone on, it's not. And you're right; it's not just Trump. It's a lot of Republicans. It's a lot of folks at
6: Fox News. They really everything that that he's saying is a vicious and stupid smear.
2: By the way, everything. People don't refer to anti-Semitism when there's criticism of Sheldon Adelson, who is a very wealthy Jewish Republican donor. That's apparently not anti-Semitic. This notion that globalist is some kind of dog whistle. Globalist is a term that's been used in international relations. Uh, for decades and has nothing to do with someone being Jewish. You know, Jimmy Carter was a globalist. I mean, there there are lots of people that you could look at and refer to historically that were referred to then as globalists, have nothing to do with Judaism or certainly with anti-Semitism. But Boot realizes that if you're going to go to the other team, it's not enough to just say, I don't like Trump. You have to say, I despise Trump. I hate Trump. I'll do anything. I'll say anything. I will bend the knee and beg forgiveness from the left and be a turncoat and slander all my former friends and allies. I don't know how these people sleep at night. I can't imagine turning on all the people that I respect and work with and know now and am ideologically in line with and later just turn around because it was convenient for me and call them all racists. What a cretin this Max Booten is. It's disgusting
1: because right now the only constitutional check against this sort of abhorrent behavior again a guy really a guy who was sending a message by time and time again tweeting about baseball or talking about his bad hair day there that was done intentionally to send a message to white nationalists
5: his tweeting about baseball bullpen strategy the very same day of the synagogue slaughter As if to send a message, as you said, Joe, to his adoring white nationalist fans, that the murdering of these worshippers was not even a concern. That's the message it sends, to be clear.
2: What the heck are Mika and Joe talking about? I really mean that. Maybe I should ask, what the heck are they smoking? What? Producer Mike, can you even explain? I really mean, what are they talking about? This makes no sense to me at all. There, tweets about baseball are now si- signals to white nationalists. I mean, this is, this is the equivalent of the woman at the Kavanaugh hearing who like, you know, stretched her arm for a second, was doing a white nationalist gesture, which only morons believe, but there are a lot of them in the media. What are they even talking about here?
7: Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I, I when I first was listening to it, I thought they were sort of like joking, but then I realized it was Joe and Meek and I had no sense of humor. So, but they were talking about the world series and, uh, there was an actual huge play or, or a big controversial move that took place in a particular game that Trump was tweeting about, and they equated that to uh, that being a coded message to white nationalists. So I think, uh, you know, it says a lot about what Joe and Mika and their psychological state at the time.
2: Yeah. A coded message. Do, do we yeah. think they can interpret the code? <laughs> like, because I'm not aware of what this, you know, it's not like a dog whistle where, where you go, oh, Okay. I guess I know what they're getting at here, whether I right. agree with it being a – I don't even it, – it's coded, so I guess they're like cryptographers <laughs> or whatever. They, they must know stuff that we don't.
7: Yeah, and one would wonder if they even are paying attention to the World Series or – because this was legitimate like news. Like this In a sports world, this was a big deal, and it was very – it was talked about all over the place the next day and – what what
2: did happen by the way? One of my friends who came over for a drink, old buddy of mine on Saturday. He's a big uh, Boston guy, right? Yeah. He said he was up until three a.m. or something. I don't even I don't watch
7: sports because I'm barely an American in some ways. What, what happened here? <laughs> so game three on uh, Friday night. Yeah, it went uh, it was the longest World Series game in the history of baseball. It went eighteen innings. Uh, probably ended around two or three in the morning. Um, Dodgers were down uh, two games to none, so they had a win, and they did. They won on a walk off home run, which was great for them. So the, the controversy took place the next day, which was on the Saturday night. Um, the, the Dodgers were winning again, going into like the eighth or ninth inning, and their pitcher was cruising along, and the Dodgers manager took out the starting pitcher with a four-run lead, and they wound up blowing the game and losing it, and then eventually lost the World Series. So the big the, all the news was, why did the Dodgers take out the starting pitcher, why he was cruising along, and that's what Trump commented on. And then—
2: Oh, that's clearly—but that's clearly a— uh, signal the white nationalists. Yeah, clearly, yeah, you know, you pull out your best pitcher. I mean, that that's that's essentially, yeah, you know, you might as well have a swastika armband on mm. or something.
7: Yeah, exactly. Whew. Yeah, uh, talk People about a stretch.
2: Are nuts, dude. By the way, who are you rooting for in that whole uh, baseball situation?
7: You know, I I was actually rooting for Boston. I know it's a little, it's it's some heresy coming out of. Uh, no, it's all right. York, I, I know
3: how
2: it is with you, Philly guys. Yeah, Philly you and, you and Boston gang up on New York. You <laughs> this know, is true. Yeah, I know I am
7: not. I'm not. Well, we we have a history with L.A. and Philly. Um, we've beat them. They have beat us. So I was not a big L.A. fan. So I was going with uh, Boston for the series.
2: All right. Fair enough. All right. Yeah. Bro, Producer Mike, I'm glad one of us know something about sports, because I, <laughs> I remember when I, when I heard that before the show, when I heard that soundbite, I was like, I'm going have to have Mike explain this one because yeah. Meeky and Joe. I think that they've decided that their brand is that they're going to be the most shrill anti-Trump lunatics on TV, and that's a very crowded space right now. It is. You know, that's not an easy thing to be number one in. Yeah.
7: So and the drama yeah. they bring to the table. I mean, they the, the angst. I, I mean, imagine they, they look so miserable. They ever noticed that when they're on air, how miserable oh, yeah. and unhappy they look?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, wait, generally like, it's not
7: like a way to go through life, Buck. I'm sorry.
2: Generally, being double home wreckers is a bad start to things. I'm just putting <laughs> that out. Go. There, there you go. There you go. I'm just putting that out. I know. I know. I try not to go too personal, but, you know, that's not good. That's not a good thing. Well, not, not, uh, what's the word? It's bad karma. Yes. It's bad karma. Yes, so, it is. Speaking of, um, I have no good transition here, but, you know, CB, c- because I was like, wait, NBC, CBS, they're both networks, other than that, and they're both full of libs. But CBS had this, uh, this segment about hate speech and taking down hate speech. And this has been one of the issues that, as you know, I've been talking to you about for a long time here, where you, know, you have this chorus, particularly on the left, of, oh, you've got to get rid of certain kinds of speech online um, and, and you're not doing a good enough job of it. And then we find, oh, wow, you mean it's going to be abused and that they're just going to use this to shut down conservatives? That should shock no one. Uh, but that's what ends up—that's what ends up happening, uh, time and again. And so they, they they can't get the true anti-Semites offline. They can't get ISIS and these other groups uh, to be taken out of their their the cyberspace. But they, what they can do is—is is all of a sudden have second pro-second amendment groups that find their Twitter accounts or their Facebook accounts deactivated. But here's part of this uh, discussion, and I have a slightly different view of this uh, in terms of what the actions of these platforms should be. Play clip 13, John.
5: You can be radical online. Radicalized online has already been supported by our government. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, we believe that after 9-11, when people had access to ISIS supporters and, and those who are trying to radicalize yep. uh, isolated individuals, we know now that Facebook Twitter and YouTube all have agreed with this and have worked with the government to take a lot of these videos down. Why not when it comes to right or left-wing extremists online?
7: Well, for one, it's very hard. It's hard to identify what is extremism. It's hard to identify what exactly is hate speech. Words are very complicated in different contexts. In the particular case of Bowers, yes, it's very easy to identify what he was doing. He should have been found. It should have been taken down. But as a general principle. It's very difficult to identify what is hate speech, what is not hate speech, and to set firm policies on that.
2: It's difficult. And we know that if we give them any leeway on this issue, it will invariably be used to the detriment of conservatives. It it will be a situation where conservatives are the ones who find themselves the the rules will certainly be much more strictly enforced against the right if they're enforced against the left at all. And, And here's You know, a a very good example of exactly what I'm talking about is the fact that Louis Farrakhan still has lots of social media, uh, still is able to spew his hatred and intolerance. And this is also why I just find so much of the media's effort over the weekend to try and create this narrative of right wing extremism is responsible for all or almost all of the anti-Semitism in this country when that's just not the case. It's not the case at all. And, you know, here are the kind of things that Farrakhan, who, you know, gets deposed in photos with Barack Obama when he's running for the presidency. Remember that? Oh, that's right. Journalists hid that from the public because they didn't want us to see what was really going on there. Uh, But Farrakhan is still treated as somebody by the media who should have and does have a voice. He's not deplatformed. He's not pushed off of all the different social media outlets. But here's the kind of stuff that Minister
1: Farrakhan says, play 14. I wonder, will you recognize Satan? I wonder, will you see the Satanic Jew and the synagogue of Satan, which has many races in it, because Satan has deceived the whole world. Think about what they're going to say when they have been so thoroughly and completely unmasked. Whenever you read that God has told the Jews to hear and obey and they say, I hear and I disobey, that's Satan openly disobeying God. Pretty gross.
2: Pretty clearly anti-Semitic, the Satanic Jew Farrakhan says, and he's still somebody that prominent Democrats can hang out with in public and can speak with, whether it's commentators or politicians. Uh, you'll notice that you don't have Democrat presidential contenders asked the way that the way that Republicans are asked about David Duke, a loser that nobody cares about and nobody you know gives a you know what to hear from. All Republicans have to be asked in every presidential cycle, well, do you disavow David Duke? Do you disavow David Duke? Why isn't every Democrat asked, do you disavow? Do you disavow Louis Farrakhan? Why wasn't Barack Obama asked, do you disavow Louis Farrakhan? Why wasn't Hillary Clinton asked, do you disavow Farrakhan? Oh, that's right. You mean the media is dishonest and they're activists and they're so sensitive about it now because we now all are figuring out the truth? Yeah, that's right. That's what I thought. You know what's not smart? Just sort of posting stuff on the web when you've got a job opening and hoping that someone who's great sees it. You know what's not smart? Spending a ton of time trying to track down all the different places online you've posted because you don't even remember because you don't know what the best one was. You know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com buck. Again, one more time, to try a totally free, ZipRecruiter. Dot-com slash buck because ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire
6: One thing to remember is that when Trump says that the only thing that would have been able that would have been able to protect these people is armed guards When when they say the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun What they're <coughs> trying to do is sell you two guns uh,
2: That's David Hogg Who is now an adult? I believe he's 18 so we can't play the "Oh, he's just a kid thing anymore which the left was doing for a while, and, and they really used this kid in order to try and destroy careers, and and he was having remarkable success by leading some boycotts, and you know he he's now a young pundit. I mean, and now we've we've reached this stage in the American commentary game where we we increasingly think that the the uh, the the younger somebody is, the more exciting their opinions are. I've got to tell you that. You know, honestly, if, if, if you're not yet 30, I have a really hard time wanting to hear your political or policy analysis. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying pretty much don't care with, with with very, very few exceptions. You know, I don't need to hear from 18-year-olds about complex issues of policy like firearms in general. Now, I'm open to my mind being changed by any individual on that. You know, there are people who are incredibly well-informed at 20, but it's just I'm saying as, as a general rule, I don't really want to hear from somebody who's 22 about what the truth of the Constitution is. It's, it's rare that they're going to have a perspective on that that I find particularly illuminating. And David Hogg just goes around spewing talking points and never really engages with the real argument of the other side. Uh, this, this that It's all about the NRA and blood money and they just want to sell you whatever they need to sell you in order to make more money in the NRA. is just all about gun sales. This is distasteful at best, and and honestly, Hogg was running around just straight up saying that people had blood on their hands and that they needed to uh, atone for being complicit in all these mass killings and the, and these murders by adopting the left-wing position on guns. You know, it, it's this issue of, of firearms. Firearms is the only issue I, I see where ignorance on the left is really celebrated. You know, they, they almost take a certain delight in calling things that are semi-automatic fully automatic. In referring to a uh, um, a magazine as a clip, and referring to a you know a handgun as a submachine gun, I mean all, all these different, they make all these errors that that they don't view as credibility destroying, and I think it's really because they do it to stick their thumb in the eye of the other side and say it doesn't even matter. All these guns are bad, don't you see? I don't have to know about them. I just know that guns are bad. That becomes the default position. You know, we had a. A member of AT, a former member of ATF, today on rising, and I, and I got to engage him a bit. I mean, he works for Gabby Giffords now as a lobbyist, so he's clearly he's very anti-gun, and I think it's interesting that people think because he worked for eight, the ATF, he must be favorable to the Second Amendment. Meanwhile, I turn around and I say, why do we have an agency? And I should have asked him this question. I honestly just ran out of the time because I had to push back on a few other things, which I'll get to in a moment, but why is it that we even have a federal agency that's a law enforcement agency with its own SWAT, with its own, you know, all these armed personnel whose job is the additional special regulation of legal and, in one case, constitutionally protected items? Alcohol, legal. Tobacco, legal. Firearms, constitutionally protected. And explosives, which are, you know, can be legal. It depends on the circumstances. Uh, but why do we even have that federal agency? I, mean, I think that's a better question. Why not just abolish the ATF? I don't think it should exist because I think that when you create a federal law enforcement agency that has as its mission arresting people for firearms violations, for example, and, and that that's a specific mission set that it has, it's going to work really hard to try to find people to nab on firearms offenses. And there's a lot of complicated firearms rules across the country. You know, I, I have had a fair number of people over the years try to lecture me on how, oh, Buck, it's on you as a legal gun owner to know the laws of the state you're in. And it, Okay, true, but guess what? There are some states where even the police don't really know what's legal and what's illegal because it's not clear based on how the laws are written. Here's one for you. In New York City, if you have a handgun permit, if you have a legal premise permit for a handgun, and you want to take it out of the city into New York state, does New York state have reciprocity? Depending on who you ask, I've gotten totally different answers about that. Um, and, and then when you add into it, the practice that New York uh, was engaged in for a while, I mean, I just know the gun laws are the best because I lived there for so long, where people whose flights were diverted, people whose flights were diverted. Think about this. You're, you're flying from you know Chicago to uh, Miami, let's say. And although this would be a pretty bad route, you know, you, you know, you hit bad weather on the way to Miami, so they divert your flight to New York. And now you're there, and you have a handgun that you checked legally, which in Chicago would be hard enough as it is. But let's just assume you checked it legally with the airline. You uncheck it because now you got to get on another flight the next day. When you go back to check in with your next flight, they've arrested people for that for not having a premise permit for New York City and having a firearm in in New York. They've arrested, and they know that that's why, that's why they had the gun. So I'm just saying that they, they look to penalize people. I mean, there is a, an aggressive attitude about gun owners that some law enforcement agencies, and I think ATF is very high on that list, that some law enforcement agencies uh, adopt in a way that is, I think, uh, puts them at tension with the Constitution and, and is really problematic. But anyway, with Hogg and these others about the guns, it just gets so boring after a while they, they know that they're not really going to get this ban on firearms. The guy I spoke to today from ATF, I don't remember his name, doesn't really matter. He wants, his solution to the gun problem is to have all semi-automatic rifles. All semi-automatic rifles. Because as he said, uh, a rifle that can kill a deer can kill a human. So that's what he said. All semi-automatic rifles need to be licensed at the same level that a fully automatic rifle is right now. That's his new solution. So you might be hearing that more and more. And I said, oh, do you really think that I could get a fully? I I live in D.C. Do you think that I could even get a fully automatic weapon here, no matter what I tried to do, no matter what my background is? And he didn't know the answer. And I said, the answer is no, dude. I was just kind of shocked. This guy worked the ATF for 25 years and seems like he doesn't know the gun laws that well, which was surprising, except for the fact that he's obviously an anti-gun zealot. That's that's the truth. And, you know, this is what you're going to see. People who are not particularly well-versed in, in what's real and what's not with these issues, aren't uh, very strong on the Second Amendment, but will pretend to be. They'll say, well, you know, I think you should be able to have a 12-gauge shotgun, you know, Elmer Fudd style, maybe a side-by-side from way back in the day, and that's enough to, you know, with, with 20-gauge shotgun shells with birdshot, that's how you can protect yourself. Well, you know, that's all well, and do, that's all well and good until somebody pulls out a, you know, a Glock 19 with a full chamber, and, you know, your, or full uh, magazine, rather, and you're trying to defend yourself against them, and you got you got two shots of twenty gauge birdshot. I, I I want the uh, I want the bad guy part of that equation. Uh, I, I want to be on I want to be armed the way they're armed. I don't want to be armed with the uh, legal twenty gauge shotgun. Although some of you're like Buck, I could take him out with a four ten. I know I know you could, but you know I'm uh I, I like having a bigger spread. I prefer the twelve gauge if I have to personally. Um, we have a whole bunch more coming up, including the controversy over a poo. Stay with me.
3: Some special time. I get to stand
1: around watching you sell fatty poisons to overfed Americans. I think that would deter me, but no.
2: Look, please, can you just take the children home? The porno magazine buyers are too embarrassed to make their move. Look.
0: Come
2: on. All right. So there you have Apu from The Simpsons. And uh, this comes after the reports late last week. Now, Apu is one of the more recognizable characters on that show who is not... It's up there with Willie. Willie, the groundskeeper. Um, But Apu is, you know, about to get written out of the show, according to reports from last week. Because... Uh, you can't have well a couple of things, right? He's a an Indian uh, Quickie Mart owner, and so he's an Indian convenience store owner. And you you can't have you know Indians and Seven Eleven. You're you're not allowed to to have that stereotype anymore in pop culture and media. We, we've talked about uh, you know the the war on a poo before, but now they finally decided that it's not just that there there were some concerns or some ideas out there that they were going to have somebody else voice Apu, because Hank Azaria, who is the, uh, the guy who vo- voices him now, is a white guy. He does a whole lot of voices. He's a voice actor, but he, he's a white guy voicing a brown guy, which is obviously on the, for the social justice left, that's a big no-no. But they're actually just going to, uh, at least the latest reporting I saw is, yeah, that's right. They're, uh, writing him out of the show saying that, uh, you know that that they're writing out of the show now. Some people are pushing back on that, saying that it's not true that he's not being written out of the show. And I, I think they're responding to the backlash here because people were saying, "Really, this is where it is now." Now you you can't have this cartoon character who's been around for twenty years. And and I would note, Apu is yes, he's a stereotype uh, on the show for sure. There's no question, right? He's a stereotype, but he's also not, you know he's a family man he's a successful business owner I really mean that I mean it's not he's not being put down in fact he's often used on the show to highlight the silliness stupidity and slovenliness of other people whereas you know he's actually kind of living the American dream he's got a nice wife you heard her on the, on the when we came into the segment there he's got a whole bunch of kids he's a business owner I mean you know this is what a lot of people aspire to in this country for themselves. And, and he's not, you know, there's this big difference between laughing at and laughing with. Apu is not, I, I've seen enough of The Symptoms. I've seen many episodes, certainly not all of them. It's been on for 20 years. But Apu is a laughed with character. You know, you are laughing with him. You find him funny. He does insightful political commentary. Yes, he has an accent. And yes, there's some stereotypes behind it. But it's all being used for the purpose of not just entertainment, but also uh, insight. And, and I just think that they're being really unfair to the character. But I'll, I'll say this. You know, over the weekend, because the political correctness thing, everyone hates it, except for the 20% of the country or so that are just social justice left maniacs. Everyone hates this cult of political correctness, this idea that we can't laugh at anything anymore, nothing is allowed to be funny anymore, everything has to be treated with this you know, this deadly seriousness and there's no way for us to just be normal people uh, who can laugh at things that a normal person would find funny. We all reject this, but we find ourselves still stuck in this totalitarian psychological prison all the time of the politically correct speech and and thought police. But I, I'm kinda happy though that they're not, I, I'd rather them get rid of Apu than just you know do what they usually do, which is either take the character and remove any hint of humor from him, right? So now all of a sudden Apu is gonna have like an English accent and be a Harvard professor and just make fun of like the stupid fat white people like the Simpsons character Homer all the time. You know, that's, that's one way that they would go, uh, that social justice, you know, warriors would want this to go. Uh, and, and an, another way that they would go would be to use him to make social justice, you know, to make more social justice related points, you know, now all of a sudden a poo is So I just, I, I don't want any of that. You know, I just, part of me is happy. They'd rather get rid of this character than destroy the character. I, I think that's a that's one, maybe silver lining, this whole thing, but it's just indicative of how, I don't even know what, what's, allowed to be, what's allowed to be funny anymore because you know it's gonna change in a year. And not based on humor, but based on what is acceptable, based on where the left wing draws these boundaries and these lines. And something as, as really, honestly, durable in the comedy world as The Simpsons, which has been around for decades. There are college courses taught on the social commentary in The Simpsons, believe it or not, that's a real thing. I mean, The Simpsons has really stood the test of time. When The Simpsons isn't safe anymore, then, then you know there's really nothing. And there's so little out there that I find funny. It's so often the case that humor is now blended with political commentary because it's a it's a cheap and, and easy way to try to build audience right away. What you do is you signal from the left that you hate the right people, and then they're more prone to pretend you're not funny jokes are funny. I mean, this is what you have with Amy Schumer. She's not funny. She just plays the politics right, and people pretend like she's a comedian. She's not a comedian. She's a crappy political commentary, uh, you know, person. I mean, spokesperson or whatever you want to call her, pundit, who also makes jokes. There's a lot of that these days, and not a lot of actual comedy. So you know, Apu looks like he's gone. That's the way this country's going these days.
0: Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. All
2: right, it is roll call time. You know what that means. Time to get this funky party started. All right, here we go. We have Aries, our buddy writes, Buck, why don't you organize a movement where Christian patriots across this country contact their local synagogues and offer to provide security in order to protect the First Amendment. I don't know what the gun laws are in PA, but I think it'd be a very powerful message if you led the way with over a 1,000 patriots standing by to protect our Jewish brothers and sisters. You may have to reach out to your contacts at Rush, Sean, and Glenn and Fake Tapper to garner enough support. Maybe partner with Bongino. His audience is pretty active. They don't have to be armed. A bunch of unarmed dudes in MAGA hats telling the world, got you got uh, to go through us first, would send a powerful message to both sides. To the crazies, this is still America. This crap is not acceptable that they pulled. Uh, you know, Aries, I like your idea. I would just say that there's a lot of, because, um, you know, I, I would stand in defense of any of our Jewish brothers and sisters at their places of worship or anywhere else in this country for that matter. Um, and, but whether people would really want there to be armed guards, you know, this gets into a, a philosophical discussion about how best to defend places of worship. I know that there are armed guards at the synagogue. There's a synagogue on my block where I grew up in New York City, and there, there, I've seen armed guards there. So it's not that unusual. And, and in fact, there are other places around the world where there have to be armed guards uh, that don't get much in the way of, uh, re- religious houses of worship, I mean. For example, in Catholic churches in some parts of Nigeria, they have to have uh, armed security personnel because of safety concerns. So I would just note that I, I like the idea and I appreciate you reaching out, my friend. Always good to hear from you. Frank writes, I heard you talking about Peaky Blinders. My wife and I love the series, but I highly recommend putting on closed captioning. It helps with understanding some of the dialogue. Uh, yeah, Frank, it's funny. My little sister told me the same thing and, and you guys are right. I, I fancy myself pretty good at being able to catch bits of Anglo-Irish dialect and think that I'm pretty savvy at it, but Peaky Blinders, man, there's stuff where all of a sudden you're in this really critical scene and they're, and you're like, wait, what was that? What? You have no idea what was just said. So, especially in, in Birmingham, Birmingham. That's how they all say it, apparently. not We say it in America, Birmingham. They're all bimbing him. So you got to have that ready to go. You got you to be prepared for the differences in the dialect. Uh, Steven right? hold on a second. Oh, this is great. Steven sent in a photo of his family on, on with Halloween costumes. Here it's, Heard you talk about Halloween costumes. Wanted to share my family and I did uh, for Trick or Treat at church this weekend. Trunk in Treat is like Trick or Treat, except you do it in a lot and contain parking lot instead of dark streets. We were the Ninja Turtles this year. Shields high. Well, that sounds like a nice idea, by the way. Ninja Turtles are great. The boys are serious, and in true form, Michelangelo, my wife, is goofing off. A friend knit us some hats, and we had turtle shells as well. Steven, you guys look great, man. I I, I love it. You know, a whole family in Ninja Turtle costumes. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I've, I've always been a fan of, and I really liked the cartoon growing up, and then also even the first Ninja Turtles movie, I saw that so many times I really I really enjoyed it uh, but people thought it was kind of intense and violent at the time if you go back and and check it out you'll you'll see what I mean but it was it's a good movie I really enjoyed it and it's a really creative concept. Who would think that turtles in uh, nuclear waste named after Renaissance painters who have ninja skills would be a hit? Well it was. There you have it. Gary. Hey Buck. Greetings from Team Buck Hungary. I took your advice and started watching the first season of Peaky Blinders. Um and last night. It was awesome. I'm hooked. Thanks for the recommendation. I'm off for the next week, and that is what I'll be doing in the evenings. Love what you do, brother. Keep it up. Shield tie, Gary. Well, Gary, shield tie to you. And I'm so glad you like Peaky Blinders. I, I really I really do enjoy it. I, I think it's a very entertaining, very well done, very entertaining show. A little bleak. For sure, but it's uh, it's well executed. The writing is good, and and there's some very interesting twists and turns in it. Uh, I started watching the third season of Daredevil over the weekend, which I would have to say, you know, the thing about Daredevil is that it's also a little bit dark, a little bleak. I think it's well executed for what it is. I just can't understand how they made Daredevil such a compelling show at Netflix. And they made Iron Fist, which was just unwatchable garbage. I mean, Iron Fist was trash. It's also a superhero story, also set in New York. Same, you know, platform with Netflix. You'd think they'd have some idea how to do it. The Iron Fist got canceled, and thank heavens, because it was such a piece of of waste. And uh, anyway, but I have to say, I think that Daredevil 3 so far is... It's a little slow and getting going, but so far it's pr- it's pretty well done. I find the acting all very good. I, I enjoy the performances. Even if you're not that into superhero stuff, I think you might like Daredevil. I, I think you might find Daredevil to be a pretty good show. Uh, Carla. Shield High Buck. Watched you on Brett Bear the other day with AB. Loved her comment about someone writing his comments about the bomber on teleprompter. Like no one ever did that before. Love the show. Saw the pic of you and your parents in D.C. It looks like your dad has the same swoop. Well, Carla, thank you for the kind comments about my appearance on Brett Baier. I, I think that I was able to say exactly what I really wanted to under the circumstances, which is always, which I think is uh, very important for whenever you get one of those performances, whenever you're doing that. I also went on Shannon's show on Friday, as you guys know. So that was another chance for me to say what was really on my mind. Uh, and, uh, as to my dad, yeah, my dad has great hair. It's true. Great hair. He's got He's got a silver swoop now. In fact, that could probably be his call sign silver swoop, but it was so good to see my parents. Um, I've got the best parents in the world. So that's a big advantage that I've had in life. You know, I know you've probably got great parents too, but their, your parents are probably the second best parents in the world. I think mine are number one, but we can agree to disagree on that. Uh, so it was, it was great to see them. We had a lot of fun and, it's nice to get some visitors down here in the swamp, man. The swamp can feel a little, a little lonely. Not enough Team Buck in the swamp. Gotta be honest you, Team Buck. You guys are spread out all around the country, and a lot of you are in states uh, where you've got a, you've got fellow patriots all around. You're not like me, deep behind enemy lines. It can be crazy. Uh, let's see. Misty writes, "What do those of us in liberal California?" do about the fact that we are surrounded by these crazies? Well, you know, it's uh, there's no easy answers. Um, I wish I could say that I, I had a, a straightforward do this to tell you, but, I, you know, I think you engage where you can, and that's it. You know, you, you don't where you think it's a bad idea. It's not worth it sometimes. Jennifer writes, Hey Buck, yesterday I attended a lecture presentation by Arthur Salzberger." Chairman of the New York Times called the impact of media and truth on democracy. I went with an open mind, as I always try to approach things in life this way, because many people have surprised me over the years. However, I found Solzberger's statement so cliche and uninteresting. He said all the things you talked about recently on your show: speaking truth to power, how we live in dangerous times, journalists are unsafe, etc., etc. I lost track of how many times he used the words danger or dangerous. However, he's definitely a capitalist. He bragged about how the New York Times successfully monetized their online media. And when asked a question from the audience about how the New York Times could be more accessible to the middle class, Salzberger said, the cost of paying for the New York Times is worth it in order to get the truth. When you find yourself in Northern California, again, I could arrange to have you speak at our local university. We need to hear uh, more conservative voices, especially on campuses and in California. Keep fighting the good fight. Shields high. Jennifer. Oh, thank you, Jennifer, for that interesting perspective and and telling me what's going on with that Sulzberger lecture. That's not surprising at all, by the way. The New York Times is in many ways the most arrogant of all media out there. And and it's left wing. And I don't know how many of you saw this, but last week I asked their chief White House correspondent for The New York Times, are you a liberal paper? And he said no. And I just look at him like, dude, I, I understand that, you know, that's the that's the company line. But come on, man. Really, we're we're gonna do this. We're really gonna do the, the New York Times is not liberal. It goes, oh, the editorial page is liberal, but the overall paper is is just a newspaper. No, that is not true. The New York Times is a liberal paper, and they should just own it. You know that they shouldn't beat around the bush and pretend there's something that they're not. I I don't see this as really all that complicated. I really don't. But they they make it complicated because they like the pretense of being neutral. They think that neutrality and objectivity heightens the strength of their voice whereas if they admitted to partisanship even though they're hyper partisan then they could not claim to just be the truth objectivity they are clearly not that though and we'll stop with uh, we'll stop with this one uh, buck you missed the anniversary of the battle of panto brandon you're right i am so sorry I forgot to tell you guys all about Lepanto. If you want, to go to go to Google and type in the Buck Sexton show and the Battle of Lepanto, and you can listen to the old Lepanto show for old time's sake. You're right, I did miss Lepanto anniversary this year, though. I'm I'm slipping in my old age. Tyler writes, love your show, man. Shields high. Tyler, you're the man. Thank you. I'm gonna end on that tonight because I like it. Shield tie to you too, and to all of you at home, shield high. You might have seen the headlines from the last week or so. Now they're starting to blame social media sites that don't do enough in order to get rid of content that they decide is violent. Who's they? Oh, that's right. The left wing media, the people that are trying to tell you that their progressive ideology just so happens to constantly result in the censorship of conservatives. But, you know, it's the algorithm, man. There's nothing really going on there. Malarkey. You know it. You want a place where you can go and share your thoughts. That's snippy.com. I've got a snippy.com account, and I love being able to interact with folks there and read their postings and know that the post is the post, okay? You get to have your opinion heard. You don't have to worry about any of the progressive censorship or nonsense from Facebook. Snippy.com. Thousands of Team Buck folks have already signed up and joined. You should check it out for yourself. S-N-I-P-P-Y dot com. Again, that's snippy dot com.